because I really feel the generation coming through is smarter, more alert, more empathetic and better at this than I'm ever going to be. So the more I can foster that in them, mm. the be- even better they're going to be. Hello and welcome back to another episode of MVP, the marketer's most valuable perspective, a podcast by State of Social and Dear Storyteller. We are here recording live at Optus Stadium at State of Social 2022, uh, which you've heard me say at the beginning of all of these episodes. I'm recording them back to back. Sorry if I'm being repetitive, but I am joined with none other than the man himself who has just delivered an incredible uh, keynote speech, uh, David Ray of Reddit. David, welcome to the show. Hi, Mike. Thanks for having me. And thank you for that very, very glowing and unnecessary reference. (laughs) Mate, um, I had such a good time listening to your talk just now. Reddit has been a a platform that I've spent a lot of time on over the years and always been amazed by its ability to create just massive organic reach, providing that people knew how to play within the lines. To me, one of the kind of interesting and the valuable things about Reddit is that it is a kind of self-regulating platform. Um, the, the moderators on the platform and the subreddits on the platform have strict rules that people need to abide by in order to be there. Um, you talked in a little bit in the talk about the idea that rather than being a platform that says, look, post whatever you want and if it's wrong, we'll take it down, you guys kind of automated that at the head. What do you think that that's done for Reddit as a platform and can you see both positives and negatives as a response to it? I think I'd see the overwhelming positive is that, and I don't necessarily think it's a byproduct of what the world's gone through as, as sort of our social media um, interactions have evolved over the last decade or so. I, I think it's more the idea that um, the word community is a positive one. Like we all like being part of something positive that way. Now, if people want to go on platforms to yell at each other and do what they want to do, okay, well, knock yourself out. That's, that's where you get enjoyment from. But what Reddit, where Reddit flourishes and where it provides a much more positive role um, in the world is having that ability for people to set their own rules about what they want engagement to be. You know, if people decide that you want to have a subreddit and it's based around like telling you what you think the worst type of coffee is, well, okay, you can do that. But at the same time, if you want to do something that celebrates it and you want to discourage that negative behaviour, you have the ability to set those rules. Mm. So um, I think it's it, the great strength has been allowing people the freedom to set what the rules are within it and then determine that, well, this is what I feel is the positive sense in my community. Mm. And giving that autonomy, being a kind of generator of community, generator of engagement. So many sideways conversations on Reddit rather than sort of up and down um, host to audience. It's audience to audience. It's community to community. Yeah, it is. And I mean, there's, there's also, I think we call the splintering of communities as well. And that's, that's in a positive sense. So if you think about something like us slash Perth, you know, where we are today, um, per capita, it's, it's a very, very large community based on the size of the population here and the size of the subreddit. But within Perth, the general questions might be about traffic or restaurants or the stadium or junior sport or hairdressers that might be, you know, that are in an area that you might want to go to. And so then if the level of interest within that community gets big enough, you then end up with Perth hairdressers, Perth junior sport, and you do it that way. So the, the idea is that sort of it doesn't have to be all things to all people. And if you think it's going to be more positive, you then spin that out. And people can be very quick to redirect you to those suburbs, say this belongs in 
Perth hairdressers. Yeah, and they, than they'll cross post. They'll they'll interact with each other. The, the moderators will develop a friendly relationship as well to make sure that they're they're sort of saying, "Hey, a lot of people are talking about this over here. Why don't you set up a separate one?" So it's you know that it's it's not only the the community itself. It's the moderators that when they start to foster that community, they then encourage people like they're not operating on the basis that say they have X numbers of followers, therefore that determines their success. It's the interaction within the community. So if somebody's got 500 people or 500,000 people in their community, it's still the idea of just continuing to make sure that it flourishes. Well, one of the things that I think was so fascinating about the way that you described brand engagement with Reddit during the, the kind of conversation was the way, and I think it's impacted by those rules and moderators and things like that, is the, the, the difference between straight up linear advertising versus community engagement. And that if brands are going to be on the platform, they have to come in through the front door and unless they're they're doing advertising, which is capable on Reddit, they have to be involved in the community and having an engagement with them authentically. Otherwise, it's just not going to work. And one of the things that I felt as I was listening to you was that Reddit almost feels like the crowdsourced search engine. So rather than necessarily, and some people will go on, Reddit search for a specific subreddit or, and see if a subject has been covered. But what you talked about is so many people just ask Reddit. <laughs> they yeah. they just put in a question and they go, you're my search engine and they seek out the wisdom of the crowd. Is it in answering questions that brands can have a place in Reddit? I, I think it's a, it's a couple of different ways. The One of the major ways, or not the major way, but we get a lot of traffic just purely through SEO, which is, people asking a question and there happens to be the highest quality answer is in a subreddit. So people will click on that result, read it, and then digest it and then go back. Um, also, we've seen a major trend in recent years, which is people adding plus Reddit to their search topics and their questions because they know they're going to get the best quality answer. So it means that they don't necessarily have to go to Reddit and search. They're just going, I'm going to search for the answer. I know it's on Reddit. They get their answer and then they move. So that actually has a benefit for us that it's the perception of the brand. It's also the perception of the quality of the interaction on there, but they may not be as familiar with what we do. So when it comes to brands themselves, <clears throat> excuse me, I, I think the most important thing is the communities can smell a rat. Mm-hmm. You know, they they <laughs> yes, self-regulate they, they self-regulate in the way that they do. They know what's genuine and what's not. So they know that sort of, you know, if a brand is trying to be cheeky or what they're doing, they're going to call it out that way. And so that, that's why I made that point before about come through the front door, come talk to us. Like you, you know, if you if you're an automotive manufacturer or an automotive retailer, come to us and we'll tell you how to find the right audience that's into the brand you've got or might be adjacent to it so we can help you understand how to interact with it in the right way. And that's that's really what it is. Is is the, the more gen because they're genuine places, if you act in a genuine fashion, you'll be welcomed. Hmm. And is it is it the case that, you know, straight up self promotion is probably never going to go down well, but if you can offer actual genuine expert advice or a perspective that somebody might not have seen themselves that that, that maybe there's value to be added there? I, I wouldn't necessarily get so specific about yeah, it. Okay. Um, I, I mean, look, the, the bottom line is your straight-up display advertising is incredibly effective. Yeah. There's, there's no question about that because, because it's based on interest, not necessarily demographic. Like, demographic can have its, its filter and then misses out in particular ways. Whereas what I, the example I mentioned before, that if you're an automotive manufacturer, you can find people who are interested in cars. Like, that's it. And those people may be 
75-year-old who's happened to come into some money. It might be a 19-year-old who's saved up for the first vehicle. There's there's no way you're going to be able to find those through through automatic you know, demographic filtering. Mm. But if you do it based on interest, it's going to work. And so I, I wouldn't want to get too prescriptive about it being totally. a catch-all. I think that's the great advantage we have is that sort of every brand often has a different dilemma and we think that we have a different solution each time. I like that. Um, Reddit users... Uh, Predominant. Well, there's a trend, there's a pattern that many Reddit users use Reddit to the exclusion of other social media platforms. Is there <laughs> some insight, some psychological thing that you found as to why that is the case, what they have in common that causes them to go, Reddit is my my community of choice? I, I think it's more what we, we just discussed. It's the genuine nature of it. Mm. That in an environment where potentially other social platforms are you talking to a bot? Are you talking to something real? Are you talking? Is the post that somebody's put on board, put up, are they being paid for that, or is it genuinely the bronzer that they use every single time? You know that they're going to do something, or do you go to a Reddit community and say, "What is the best bronzer that I should use for the skin tone that I've got?" They're the sort of moments of going. That community is going to tell you and give you an honest answer, and I, I think that's the huge difference. Yeah, I think it's so fascinating the the idea of something that really had not <laughs> occurred to me until today, and that's like kind of wild. But it's just the idea of the wisdom of the crowd. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's 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 also it's people that want you to be in a better place. You know, it's we, we live in an overwhelmingly cynical world in a lot of different ways. But I always come back to the notion that like community, the word community at its heart, when you say it, is a positive thing. People talk; it's like family lot of ways here you go and I, and I often talk about the notion that the word mateship it might be a little bit twee but that's such an endemic part of the Australian DNA and mateship and community are connected and you think about disasters strike in Australia the community the Australian community gets behind solving these things and and supporting the, you know each other through these periods so I think that that is the thing that just becomes not just self-regulating but self-perpetuating See, there's something really wild to me about that because I mentioned this in another podcast that we just did recently with Jenny because obviously she has a lot to say about community as well with Next Door Australia. We had a politician in Perth recently declare a civic crisis in Australia that that we were going through a civic community-based crisis because of the situation between charities and volunteer organisations. Has how how can I don't know are Australians still communal beings it seems like we are has the word community changed is is there something about in reddit's future about act mobilizing those communities in real life i'm not sure it just seems like such a strange thing where you've got these two conversations where it's like it seems like community is so rich on a platform like what you're talking about and then we have another very loud kind of public voice saying the opposite um my answer is probably more personal than yeah. professional in the way I do it, and it's it's purely anecdotal. Love so that. no no evidence to back up sure. the premise of what I'm saying. <laughs> um, I, I think I look at the sort of uh, pre- pressure, if you will, in Australia since May. Like sort of the election was like something that was happening for 18 months. Mm. And then post-election, I just sense personally that the pressure's come off a little bit that there's the opportunity being afforded to new governments and new parties to be able to fix things or to change things or to make change. And um, I think Australians are at a point where they're ready to be treated as grown-ups. They don't necessarily want somebody to tell them that everything's perfect that way. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and I think that it's it's an interesting sort of sign of honesty that's required that way. And look, you know, it's politics and it's government, and it's never going to always be that way. But it's I, I personally believe that there's a, a bit of a change in attitude, and it's perhaps just the pendulum of the way these things work that change in government in the UK, change in the US, change here. And it's the idea of sort of going, well, what post-pandemic does our world look like? And I think we all learned a lot about our local communities during those periods. And our community might be a suburb, our set of shops nearby, the local restaurant that we tried to help, it might be a local bar. We actually got closer to all of those things. And now as we emerge, we are doing it, but we, we want a standard to be met across the board. We felt we did the right thing. We expect that those who are in charge are going to do the right thing. And we want it, we're calm about the way we're doing it. I don't see the anger that I used to see. Well, I love that. And uh, two things that you said there on a more personal note and calm, I want to change tact a little bit (laughs) and ask you about something a a bit more personally, professionally, and it is your calm nature. You've been described as somebody who um, is calm under pressure and good at negotiating deals and working through periods of turmoil with grace. And I just wonder if you could give us sort of some advice as to to what it's like to be in situations like the ones that you've been in where you've been working with global platforms, making deals that impact huge companies and launch products in different areas. What is it like to, to be in those rooms and how do you manage to stay calm under pressure and be an effective negotiator, deal maker, et cetera? Um, that's very kind of you to say. Thank you. I'm very flattered. Um, I, I think the the approach that I take to work um, a lot of the time is that everything is solvable. Nothing. I, I don't want to say nothing's impossible because things are are impossible. But I, I think it's the idea that sort of, particularly when it comes to problems, I used to I've said to my teams over many years now, which is, I don't care that a mistake's been made. I don't care that you know there's a problem. But if the train's coming at me, you got to tell me, and then we'll work out what we do. And then we'll work out how it happened later. And so what that does is encouraging a sense, firstly, a risk appetite within the teams that you've got, but also them understanding that it's okay that they've made that mistake as long as they just come to me like, and that I often have like old team members that they talk about that kind of premise themselves. They go, you know, it's, it's made them be in an environment where they're encouraging their teams to make mistakes. Mm. Um, if you operate in an environment where your team is treading on eggshells and they're going to start, they think that the slightest stuff up is going to make that happen. Um, then they're never going to back do the right thing and they're going to make me look bad as well. I think the second thing um, is really about the idea of sort of what if you inherit a team or you bring people on board that everybody is trainable and everybody is coachable. Um, and so it's, it's the premise that, you know, people aren't necessarily bad, behaviours are bad. You know, behaviours aren't, yeah, are not necessarily the standard they can be, but it's your job as a coach to make them better and better. I've had um, superb bosses. I've had terrible bosses. Um, I've had three leaders in particular who shaped who I am um, and uh, I take I give them immense credit for them being the people that allow me to sort of be able to sort of forge my career ahead so <clears throat> excuse me it's it's never been a matter of going yay me because I've been as clueless in the early stages of my career as anybody has been um, and I often now with with people that come through my teams I tell them the mistakes I made because I really feel the generation coming through is smarter, more alert, more empathetic and better at this than I'm ever going to be. So the more I can foster that in them, mm. the be- even better they're going to be. 
I love that. Let's jump into some of the quick fire questions that we have. So we're asking this of all of the speakers that we're having on the podcast. I'm excited to hear your answers. Uh, question number one, where do you go to learn more about business and marketing? Well, that's a great question. Um, there's, there's a couple of different places. I'm a voracious media consumer. I, I read far more media than I do fiction or nonfiction. Um, one of the main people in terms of cultural, the mix of cultural and business at the moment is Scott Galloway. That a lot of people will say that they're, they're into that way. So I'm a huge fan of his work. Um, you know, I, I, I couldn't nail down one particular one. I, I think they're the sort of things, but there's also other people like Daniel Kuhneman and the like, that's sort of those cathartic books you've read during the course of your life to, that really help rewire your brain. Um, and I'll say as well, it's sort of... Um, you know, the, the Amazon writing style that I was trained in a couple of years ago was one of the biggest things that then allowed me to understand how to write things that are succinct, objective, and get basically get things done. Mm. I love that. I'd love to know more about that at some time. I don't think we have time right now, but I'd love to know more. Um, what's a small brand you love and why? Um, well, I, I mentioned in my talk before, Labent Socks um, <laughs> is one of the big ones, which is... Uh, something that uh, was crowdsourced effectively and I didn't know about before, that when I got it, it changed something that I love doing in my life. I've been a runner all my life, um, done marathons and half marathons and all those sort of things. But if I'd known about them years ago, it would have changed my life. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, it's, it's one that basically what the product says it does, it absolutely over-delivers. I love that. It's so funny to kind of witness a product where you just think for so many people, it's just like a, they're just socks. And yeah. then for somebody else, it's life changing. Yeah. Um, if you could spend four hours with any marketer or business person in the world, who would you choose and why? Um, I, I don't necessarily, I don't know if I'd call it a, a marketer or a business person, but it's somebody who markets the concept of who they are and their brand. And it's either somebody like John Oliver or Stephen Colbert. Mm. The reason being that Great yes, answers. they are they are comedians, but their empathy and desire to improve the world drives what they do, and their their ability to be exceptional communicators is quite astounding. And I think particularly for Stephen Colbert, the the great moments for him are when somebody starts asking him questions, and he is somebody who lives in a world where it's all about him forcing it to the other party but he genuinely loves the question. He provides really thoughtful answers. And I think that's that's part of the dynamic that, that I really love. So I, I don't know if marketers are the sort of people I really want to spend my time with. <laughs> I, I, I want to spend time with people that I just go... But they're communicators, right? Yeah, your intellect blows my mind. Unbelievable. And how do you... And I think particularly in, in the cynicism of recent years, their ability to um, distill it through comedy that makes people more aware is better than say, in, I love Four Corners, but it's an, an hour of them distilling an issue is perhaps going to be more effective. True, it's gonna reach a, a broader audience. It's sort of hiding the medicine in the dog food kind of, so yeah. to speak. <laughs> um, is there an emerging customer behavior that you think will be highly influential in the next decade? Um, yes, I, I think um, the second hand market is going to get bigger and bigger. And I think that's, partly um, out of our desire to be more environmentally aware, but I think it's more the idea that it's, it's, we have the ability to connect with each other that way. Mm -hmm. that in the same way the internet has allowed everybody to find their person, 
you know, that way you, you know, I said it before, find your people. But the ability that sort of goes, previously like dating services allow people to go, no matter who I am, there's somebody who's into what I am. Mm-hmm. And that's a lovely thing. Um, and I think that therefore means that there are secondhand products around the world that a level of recycling is going to happen that it's going to allow people to go, like one of my passions, old rugby league jumpers that I've found. And, <laughs> yes. you know, I find this through Instagram, I found it through eBay and various places. But those sort of things go... It's the idea that sort of shoes you buy or clothes you wear or ties or old jackets or whatever. That that form of love of vintage, I think, is really going to really work. Um, two more questions to go. Thank you. This has been packed full of insights. It's like so wonderful to be able to ask these questions and get uh, immediate responses because they're not exactly easy questions. Okay, so, um, has a ma- and this, I mean, surely we've got an answer for this, but has a major public opinion recently flipped where you felt marketing or communications or perhaps Reddit played a major role? Maybe not Reddit playing a role, um, but I'm going to go to a personal example again, yeah. which is I'm a fan of the Canberra Raiders in, yep. in the NRL. And two weeks ago, our coach, um, after a match which we lost, uh, made a personal attack on an opponent. Um, one of the opponent's players based on something that when the opponent was 12. And, you know, there's the, there's the rough and tumble of sport, um, you know, with, with behaviour. We saw it in the AFL on the weekend between um, Brisbane and Melbourne. Yeah. Um, but in this situation, it was the idea that sort of 10 years ago, I think people sort of accepted that that was, again, the sort of, well, that's the dynamic of how people do it. Whereas in this situation, it was okay, there's a power imbalance. And I think that's that's one of the key changes that way that sort of we're seeing, and I think this is again about the pressure coming down, which is hope, the hope of a more empathetic world, which is that interaction should be, like that should not necessarily be a conversation that took place, mm. but it did. And then there was punishment and you know, circumstances that happened on the back of it, the coach being suspended. Whereas the public reaction was kind of, yeah, I, I think I don't like the way this is. And I think we are much more conscious of where our power balances operate now. I think that's fascinating. Um, last question. is a, It's a bit of a fun one. Um, I need you to not answer Labent, okay? <laughs> when you think of the term prized possession, what's the first branded thing that comes to mind other than Labent? And do you remember the specific ad or piece of marketing that convinced you to buy it? Um, I'm probably wearing it. Um, at the moment, which is my Garmin Phoenix 6, ah. which is the third Garmin watch that I've owned in the last 15 years. Um, you know, it, we operate in a situation now where you know, fitness tracking and everything else, the way it's meant to be. And, and so I, I also have a love of watches, um, but I don't find myself wearing my watches because this is the thing that basically monitors the ability for everything I do. So, um, you know, when I go out and I go running, headphones, phone, music watch go um so yeah and the the marketing i remember associated with it was just it's the progression of garmin's fantastic marketing which was there was a point in time where this was the watch for when i was running then and it had all these amazing capabilities then the next one came and then five years passed and then the technology has moved again so it's it's good because the leaps in technology are huge but it's not every year Mm. Um, it's done in a way that means that you can get mileage out of, pardon the pun, but mileage out of that device for a long period of time rather than encouraging you to continue to dump the old one. 
And I should say the, the previous one I had, I then ended up selling secondhand as well. Hey, look at that. <laughs> that's, that's an awesome way to put a pin in it. Just a, a final stop for us. Thank you so much uh, for joining us here on MVP. David Ray, we've really enjoyed your insights. Uh, we got a little gift that we'll give to you off screen in a second. Um, but that is all we have time for this episode on The Marketer's Most Valuable Perspective. Thank you for joining us. Give us a rating and review on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcasts. And we'll be back soon with another episode from State of Social 2020. 2026.